Chapter Four of Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty by Imbert de Saint Amour. Translated by Elizabeth G. Martin. Chapter Four, The Death of Gustavus III. The drama of the revolution is not French alone; it is European. It has its afterclap in every empire, in every kingdom, even to the most distant lands. It excites minds in Stockholm almost as much as in Paris. Among the Swedes, there are people whose greatest desire would be to parody the October days and to carry out on pikes the bleeding heads of their adversaries. The new ideas take fire and spread like a train of gunpowder. It is a fashion to go to the extremes. A nameless frenzy and fatality seem let loose upon this epoch of agitations and catastrophes. All those who, at one time or another, have been guests at the palace of Versailles, are condemned as by a mysterious sentence either to exile or to death. How will terminate the career of that brilliant king of Sweden, who had received from Versailles and from Paris? From court and from the city, such an enthusiastic reception. Gustavus, the idol of the great lords, the philosophers, and the fashionable beauties, who, after being the hero of encyclopedists, came to hold his court at Aix-la-Chapelle amid the French emigres, and who, on his return to Stockholm, prepared there a great crusade for authority, announcing himself as the avenger of divine right, the savior of all thrones. The last days of his life, his presentiments, which recall those of Caesar, his superstitions, his belief in prophecies, his magic incantations, that warning which he scorns, as the Duke of Guise did at the Castle of Blois, that masked ball, where the costumes, the music, the flower, the lights, offer a painfully strange contrast to the horror of the attack, all is sinister, lugubrious in these fantastic and fatal scenes, which have already tempted more than one dramatist more than one musician and whose faces as shakespeare only could retrace the crime of stockholm is linked closely to the death struggle of french royalty the funeral knell which tolled at this extremity of the north had echoes in paris the swedish regicides set the example to the regicides of france monsieur geoffroy had remarked very justly in his work gustave droit et la cour de france that the bloody deed which put an end to the reign and the life of Gustavus is not an isolated fact. The faults committed by this prince would not have sufficed to arm his assassins. The true source whence Ankerstrom and his accomplices drew their first inspiration was that vertigo caused during the last years of the century by the annihilation of all religious and even all philosophical faith. No moment of modern history has presented an intellectual and moral anarchy comparable to that which accompanied the revolutionary period in Europe. The eighteenth century was punished for incredulity by superstition. Having refused to believe the most holy truths, it lent credence to the most fantastic chimeras. For priests it substituted sorcerers, for Christian ceremonies the rites of Freemasonry. The time was coming when, because it had rejected the sacred heart of Jesus, it was going to bow before the sacred heart of Marat. The adepts of Mesmer and of de Puisgue, the seekers after the philosopher's stone, the Nicolets of Berlin, the Illuminati of Bavaria, enlarged the boundaries of human credulity. 
and the men who succumbed in the most naive and foolish manner to these wretched weakness of mind were precisely the haughtiest philosophers those who had prided themselves the most on their distinction as freethinkers such a one was gustavus three the voltairian prince who had held the christian verities so cheap was superstitious even to puerility he did not believe in the gospels but he believed in the books of magic in a corner of his palace he had arranged a cupboard with a censer and a pair of candlesticks before which he performed cabalistic operations in nothing but a shirt throughout his entire reign he consulted a fortune teller named madame afferson who read the future for him in coffee grounds around his neck he wore a gold box containing a sachet in which there was a powder that according to his belief would drive away evil spirits all this apparatus of incantation and sorcery was one of the causes of gustavus's fall it multiplied the snares around the unfortunate monarch and served to mask his enemies prophecies announced his approaching end and conspirators took care to fulfil the prophecies the duke of sudermania the king's brother without being an accomplice in the project of crime encouraged unranned practices sectarians approached gustavus to reproach him for his luxury his prodigalities his entertainments or addressed him anonymous warnings which in biblical language declared him accursed and rejected by the lord their insolence knew no bounds madame arfetzen had counselled the king to beware if he would meet a man dressed in red count ribbing one of the future conspirators having heard of this ordered a red costume out of bravado and presented himself in it before his sovereign whom such an apparition caused to reflect if not to tremble gustavus like caesar was to see his ides of march it had been predicted to him that the month of march would be fatal to him this month approached and the monarch diverted himself by fetes and boisterous entertainments in order to banish the presentiments which never ceased to assail him he said to himself that all this phantasmagoria would probably soon vanish that the funeral images would of themselves depart and that the spectres would disappear at the sound of arms the monarchical crusade of which he proposed to be the leader grew upon him as the best means by which to escape the incessant obsessions haunting his spirit in vain was he reminded that sweden was in need of money and that a war of intervention in the affairs of france was not popular his resolution remained unshaken he counted the days and hours which still separated him from the moment of action his sole idea was to chastise the jacobins and avenge the majesty of thrones written to stockholm from aile chapelle at the beginning of august 1791 the impetuous monarch began to be very active in his warlike preparations the marquis de bouille who had been obliged to quit france at the time of the unsuccessful journey to varnes had entered his service and was to counsel him and fight at his side under the swedish flag at the same time gustavus officially renewed his promises of aid to the king of france louis sixteen replied monsieur my brother and cousin i have just received the lines with which you have honoured me on the occasion of your return it is always a great consolation to have such proofs of friendly sentiment as are given me by this letter the concern sir which you take in all that relates to my interest touches me more and more and i recognise in each word the august soul of a king whom the world admires as much for his magnanimous heart as for his wisdom meanwhile the conspirators animated either by the personal rancour or the passions common to the nobles hostile to their king were secretly preparing for an attack the five leaders were captain ankerstrom count de ribbing count de horn count de lilienhorn 
major of the blue guards and baron pechlin an old man of seventy-two who had been distinguished in the civil wars and was the soul of the plot the conspirators had doubts before committing the crime during the diet which met at Giffel, january twenty five seventeen ninety two they refrained at the very moment when they were about to strike gustavus was in his castle of haga about a league from stockholm without guards or attendants three of the conspirators approached the castle at five in the evening they were armed with carbines and having placed themselves in ambush near the king's apartment on the ground floor were waiting for an opportunity to kill their sovereign gustavus coming in from a long walk went in his dressing gown to sit in the library the windows of which opened like doors into the garden he fell asleep in his armchair whether they were alarmed by the sound of footsteps or whether the contrast between the slumber of the unconscious king and the death poising above his head awakened some remorse the assassins once more abandoned their mediated crime weary of the attempts they had been planning for six months and which never came to anything the conspirators might possibly have given them up altogether if a circumstance which they considered providential had not come to rekindle their regicidal zeal the last masked ball of the season was to begin in the opera house on the night of march sixteen to seventeen and it was known that gustavus would be present to strike the monarch in the midst of the festival in order to chastise him for his love of pleasure was an idea which charmed the assassins moreover the mask alone would embolden them they thought that if the august victim were enveloped in a domino they need no longer dread the royal prestige which had more than once caused them to recoil gustavus was consulted to be on his guard the young count louis de bouilly who was then at stockholm and who had been informed by a letter from germany that the king was about to be assassinated begged him to profit by the warnings reaching him from every quarter gustavus replied that he would rather go blindly to meet his fate than torment himself with the numberless precautions which such suspicions would demand if i listened added he to all the advice i received i would not even drink a glass of water besides i am far from believing in the execution of such a plot my subjects although very brave in war are extremely timid in politics the success i expect to gain in france trophies of which i shall bring to stockholm will speedily augment my power by the confidence and general respect which will be their result meantime the fatal hour was approaching the masked ball of march sixteen was about to open before going there gustavus took supper with few of the persons belonging to his household while he was at the table he received a note written in french and unsigned in which he was entreated not to enter the playhouse where he was about to be stricken to death the author of the note urgently recommended the king not to make his appearance at the ball and if he persisted in going to suspect the crowd which would press around him because this gathering was to be the prelude and signal of the blow aimed at him the really bizarre thing about this was that the man who wrote these lines himself was one of the conspirators count the lillian horn it is impossible to tell says marcus de bouille in his memoirs whether his conscience wished to acquit itself in this manner towards the king to whom he owed everything without forfeiting his word to his party or whether knowing the fearless character of this prince he did not offer this anonymous advice as a bait to his courage it certainly produced the latter effect gustavus made no reflections on reading this note and went fearlessly to the ball the orchestra is playing wildly the dancers are animated the hall adorned with flowers sparkles under the glow of the chandeliers gustavus appears for a moment in his box it was only then that he shows to baron de esson his first equerry the anonymous note he had received while at supper 
that faithful servant begs him not to go down into the hall gustavus disregards the prudent counsel he says that hereafter he will wear a coat of mail but that for this time he is perfectly determined to be reckless about danger the king and his equerry go into the salon in front of the royal box where each puts on a domino then they enter the hall by the way of the stage there are men essentially courageous who love danger for its own sake gustavus is one of them hence he takes the pleasure in braving all his assassins as he is crossing the green room with baron de essen on his arm let us see says he whether they will really dare to kill me yes they will dare it the moment that the king enters he is recognized in spite of his mask and his domino he walks slowly around the hall and then goes into the pit where he strolls about during several minutes he is about to retrace his steps when he finds himself surrounded as he had been predicted by a group of maskers who get between him and the officers of his suite several black dominoes approach they are the assassins one of them count the hall lays a hand on his shoulder good day fine masker he says this judas salute this ironical welcome given by the murderers to their victim is a signal for the attack on the instant ankerstrom fires on the king with a pistol loaded with old iron gustavus struck in the left hip cries i am wounded the pistol which had been wrapped in wool made only a muffled report and the smoke spreading throughout the room the crowd does not think of a murder but a fire cries of fire fire augment the confusion baron de essen all covered with his master's blood helps him to gain a little box called the oil de boeuf and from there a saloon where he is laid upon a sofa baron de umfeld orders the doors of the theater to be closed and everyone to unmask a man brazening it out lifts his mask before the officer of police and says to him with assurance as for me sir i hope that you will not suspect me it is anker strong the assassin he goes out quietly but after the crime was committed his weapons a pistol and knife like that of ravela had fallen on the floor the gunsmith of stockholm will recognize the pistol and declare that he had sold it a few days before to a former officer of the guards captain ankerstrom it is the token which will cause the arrest of the assassin and his punishment by the penalty of parricides decapitation and cutting off of his right hand the king showed admirable calm and resignation during the thirteen days which he had still to live he asked with anxiety if the murderer had been arrested and being answered that his name was not yet known ha god grant said he that he may not be discovered as soon as the first bandages were put on the wounded man was taken to his apartment at the castle there he received his courtiers and the foreign ministers when he saw the duke de escars who represented the brothers of louis 16 at stockholm this is a blow said he which is going to rejoice your parisian jacobins but write to the princess that if i recover from it it will change neither my sentiments nor my zeal for their just cause in the midst of his sufferings he preserved a dignity above all praises neither recriminations nor murmurs issued from his lips he summoned to his death but both his friends and those who had been among the number of his enemies who would have been horrified to have been an accomplice in a crime when the old count de brahe leader of the nobles of the opposition presented himself gustavus said as he pressed him in his arms i bless my wound 
since it has brought back an old friend who had withdrawn from me embrace me my dear count and let all be forgotten between us the fate of his son who was about to ascend the throne at the age of thirteen was the chief preoccupation of the king let them put me on a litter cried he i will go to the public square and speak to the people and he said to baron de amphel go unlike another antony show the bloody vestments of caesar it was also to do amphel that he said as he was signing with his dying hand his commission as the governor of stockholm give me your knightly word that you will serve my son as faithfully as you have served me he made his confession to his grand almoner i fear he said to him that i have no great merit before god but at least i am sure that i have never done harm to any one intentionally he meant to receive the sacraments according to the lutheran form and to have the queen brought to him as he had not seen her since his illness but while seeking sleep in order to tranquilize his mind before this emotion he found the slumber of death march twenty ninth seventeen ninety two at eleven in the morning he was forty-six years old thus terminated the brilliant and stormy career of the prince on whom marcus de boye had pronounced the following judgment his manners and his politeness rendered him the most amiable and attractive man in his country although the swedes were naturally intelligent he had a vivid imagination a mind enlightened and adorned by a taste for letters a masculine and persuasive eloquence and an easy elocution even when speaking french useful and agreeable acquirements a prodigious memory polite and affable manners accompanied by a certain oddity which did not displease his strong and ardent soul was enkindled with an inordinate love of glory but a chivalrous spirit and loyalty dominated there his sensitive art rendered him clement when he ought perhaps to have been severe he was even susceptible of friendship and this prince as had and has preserved friends whom i have known and who are worthy to be such he had a firm and decided character and above all that resolution so necessary to statesmen without which wit prudence talents experience are not only useless but often injurious according to marcus de bouillet gustavus should have been the king of france and louis sixteen king of sweden as the sovereign of france gustavus would have been beyond all doubt one of its greatest kings he would have preserved that beautiful realm for a revolution he would have governed with glory and with splendour louis sixteen on the other hand placed on the throne of sweden would have obtained the respect and esteem of that simple people by his moral and religious virtues his economy the spirit of justice and his good and benevolent sentiments he would have contributed to the happiness of the swedes who would have wept above his tomb whereas both these monarchs perished at the hands of their subjects but the designs of the providence are impenetrable and we ought in respect and silence to obey its unalterable decrees the jacobins of paris who affected to despise the projects of gustavus three showed how much they had feared him by the mad joy they displayed on the learning of his death they lavished praises on brutus ankerstrom although it had been committed by the nobles there was certain reminiscence of the french revolution about the assault 
in their secret meetings the conspirators had agreed to carry around on pikes the heads of gustavus's principal friends in the french style as was said in those days count de lilienhorn brought up nourished and drawn from poverty and obscurity by gustavus and overwhelmed to the last moment by the benefits of the generous monarch explained his monstrous ingratitude and the part he had taken in the attack by saying he had been led astray by the idea of commanding the national guards of stockholm after the revolution and playing the same part as lafayette the girondin ministry had attained to power in france a few days after gustavus had been struck down in sweden there was no connecting link between the two facts but at paris as at stockholm the cause of the king sustained a terrible repulse the tragic death of their faithful friend must have cost louis sixteen and marie antoinette some painful forebodings concerning their own fate the murder of gustavus was the first of a series of great catastrophes the pistol of the swedish regicide heralded the blade of the parisian guillotine the sixteenth of march was the prelude of the twenty-first of january End of chapter four